Hey, this is Jason Hansen. I'm the lead pastor at Anchor Church. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope that as you listen, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus to live for him, to tell others about him. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you're encouraged. You ever been in a situation where weather, now we live in Phoenix, so maybe if you've come from a different place, this is maybe a little bit more applicable, but weather uh, changes your plans. I mean, I guess for us, maybe it could be like, we're not thinking it's going to be 117, and it is, and we got to go inside or something like that. But there, you know, there's situations where maybe you, I've always been to weddings where it's an outdoor wedding where you live in Phoenix, and it rains. It's like it never rains. You know, it rains during everybody's outside. You got to move it all inside, those kinds of things. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we'd, we'd have snow days. Because I, I grew up on the East Coast, especially when I was in Michigan, we'd say, uh, you know, we're, hey, the, the weather forecast said, there's a 95% chance of snow. And likely schools are going to be shut down. So we'd start planning and, you know, scheming on how, you know, I know that we're not, we can't drive to school, but let's drive to the to the snow hill. Like, let's, you know, let's just be idiots and try and drive on these roads that nobody's supposed to drive on. And we'd try and make these plans and we'd scheme and we'd do all this kind of stuff. And then you'd, I'd wake up in the morning. This happened on a number of occasions. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd run over to the, to the window and I'd look outside and there's, there's no snow. It just radically, all of the excitement and joy just was gone in a moment. It was like, I'm not going to school today. I get to go sledding. I get to hang with my friends. You open the windows I guess I'm going to school today. This is the worst day. Like, it's bad enough going to school when you're in junior high and high school, let alone when you don't think you're going to school and you have to go to school. It's, it's horrible, right? It's just, but weather can change plans. Why? Because weather is greater than my plans. Weather doesn't wait for me, right? Weather's just going to do what it does. That's the way weather works. That's the way snow works. That's the way rain works. That's the way sunshine works. It just, it's going to happen. Whether I want it to happen or not, there's this, greater something that can change my plans in any moment when it comes to weather. And church, listen, we believe in a God who is greater. We believe in a God who is over us, who is greater than us, who, who loves us and cares for us and walks with us and corrects us and, and changes our plans, doesn't he? There's times where he changes our plans. We believe that God is, let me give you two theological terms. Uh, you can write these down if you want. Just that, as we think about who God is, he is transcendent. Hang with me. Okay, I know I'm using big words. Transcendent, it just means he's big. He's high above all things. You think, read the Psalms. He is high above all things. You know, he's, he's at the far reaches of the universe. God is so big. He's so far away from us. He's massive. And we also believe that he's imminent with an I, imminent, meaning he, he draws near to us. He is in the details. He's in every aspect of life. He's not just great and distant. He's also close. We, we want to make sure we get this because if we believe that God loves us and cares for us, then we want to believe that he is in the details of life, though maybe they aren't what we want them to be. God's at work. We, we are Christians. We believe God is huge and close. We believe that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, unapproachable, and the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He's the person that we look at and say, the King of the universe, and I can draw near to him. If we don't believe both of those are true, then we are a kind of people called deists, which means that we believe God sets things in motion and he's never actually active in our lives. That is not the Bible, church. 
The Bible is God is God is huge and big and sets things in motion. And he functions on an hourly basis, minute by minute, second by second in your life and in mine to accomplish his purposes and plans. We want to make sure we understand this because Esther, chapter 5, is going to help us understand how that applies to you and how it applies to me. Here's the, here's the big idea for this morning as we grasp it. It's this, that no human plan or scheme is a match for God. No human plan, no human scheme is a match for for God, No plan that you make that you think you're trying to get your way out of something, you're going to walk forward, is a match for God's plan for you. No scheme that somebody has against you that you think, oh, this person's against me. I don't know what this person's doing. No scheme that's against you is a match for God's plan for you. It cannot change it. It cannot thwart it. And this applies to us. We want to make sure we actually get this. We want to make sure that we actually grasp this. If we're going to live lives as Christians that trust him. That, that recognize his love for us and that sees that regardless of what we want to do, good or bad, what people want to do against us or for us, good or bad, cannot thwart the overarching goodness of God for you and for me. We want to make sure that we understand this from, from Esther chapter 5. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the whole chapter, chapter 5. And then uh, we're just going to break it down a little bit, just pull it apart, and then we'll figure out how it applies to us by, by how we can live it out together. That's what we're going to do this morning, and then we'll sing one more song and we'll be, we'll be done for the, for the morning. This is Esther chapter 5. This is, the, this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. This is the only objective, true thing that you're going to hear this morning. This is the only thing, as I read this, this is the only absolutely true thing you'll hear. I am imperfect, the scriptures are not. So this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Esther chapter 5. On the third day, remember, if you were with us last week, Esther took three days to fast. She wanted to go into the king, King Xerxes, King Headache, as they call him in the scripture, in, the, in here. Ahasuerus means headache. He's the King Headache here. This is who this guy is. But it's Xerxes from Persia. On the third day after they fasted, Esther put on her royal robe. She was nervous to go to the king because he could have killed her in a moment. He didn't call for her. And stood in the inner court of the king's palace, nervous, in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Ah, oh, that's a sign, that's a good sign. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. This is it. She's about ready to request the salvation for the Jewish people that Haman had condemned to death. She's going to say it, you think, but she actually doesn't. Then Esther answered, and I want you to listen to this. I know I'm interrupting myself reading. Sorry, it's annoying. But, but listen. What she does is brilliant here. She's going she's gonna to actually trick him into agreeing to whatever she wants before she even does it. Watch. She says, and Esther answered, 
my wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and to fulfill my request, if, if you're going to grant my request, if you're going to do it, then, then, then let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So, hey, if I found favor in your eyes, if you're going to grant my request, just I'm going to do the same exact feast tomorrow. You liked this one? Great. I'm going to do the same one tomorrow. You'll have the same food. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. If you're going to re- accept my request, then just come tomorrow. Show up tomorrow and it'll be good. She, she, she actually one-ups the king here. All right, tomorrow's going to be the day. She's going to ask it. Her plan is set in motion. She is in full control at this point. As a reader, we should be thinking, great, Esther's got it. She's, she's done this thing. We got it. To, all it is is just one more night. The next day, it's happening. And then the ominous music begins if we're watching the show, right? This ominous music as we see Haman. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai, which is Esther's, if you're just joining us, it's Esther's uh, stepdad, essentially, adopted dad, saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before Haman. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches and the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him and and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows, fifty cubits high, be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Now, now this is a chapter of this where we should be rejoicing that Esther got it, if we're reading it rightly. And then, like, if, if the, the book of Esther ended in chapter 5, and we didn't have chapter 6, we'd be left in despair. Wait a second. The, the plan was going to be for tomorrow, but, but Haman undercut that plan, didn't he? Oh, man, that's not the way that this is supposed to go. Like, if we're done here in chapter 5, we might be confused, concerned, wondering what's happening. Because Esther has a plan. Esther's plan, as we just read, is to go into the king, prepare a feast and a banquet, bring Haman, just Haman, and King Ahasuerus, Xerxes the Great, Pharaoh of Egypt, to come in into eat the feast, drink a bunch of wine, they're probably feeling really good at the end, and then say, hey, if you want to accept my request, just come to the same feast tomorrow and I'll tell you what I want tomorrow. Tricks them into doing it. She is in full control. Her plan is set in motion. Her plan is, is action, and yet she waits for tomorrow. It seemed fine. It's just one night, right? One night, it's not a big deal. Her plan's going forward. What's one night? comes down to it. I mean, she could have asked for it right there, but she thought, eh, it's better if I just wait one day. 
My plan's going to come to pass. Like, I'll just wait one day. Here we are. We're going to go. We're going to try and we'll make this happen tomorrow. She's going to ask for the salvation of the Jewish people that Haman, uh, you know, put on them by trying to kill them on this one day. And she said, I'm going to try and overturn this. I'm going to do it tomorrow. What's one more night? What's one more night? Her plan seems to be going totally according to plan. It looks fine. Here's the problem. Haman ruins everything, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Haman comes in and he ruins everything. Esther's whole plan is just undercut by a matter of hours. And we read this and we think, no, the schemes of Mordecai, look, Esther's plans are in motion, but the schemes of Mordecai undercuts it, it takes it out of the knees. See, Haman's irate because Mordecai will not bow to him. He's been irate for a couple chapters now. Every time it happens, he's angry. And now it's just, man, he thinks he's got it all. Doesn't it seem like when you read this, it seems like he's a blessed guy, right? Man, he's got riches and sons, and the king loves him, and Esther seems to love him. He is a blessed man. This, this man, God must be on his side because he's got so much stuff going on. We've talked about this earlier in Esther. Just because we have everything doesn't mean that God's with us. Right? Say amen if you agree with that. Just because we have everything doesn't mean that God is with us. We want to make sure that we get this. We want to make sure we understand this because God is not with Haman. Yet he has everything. He looks like he's blessed, but that is not what God has. Look, there's a, there's a different plan that he has. He wants to take out the Jewish people. Destroy them. Salvation history, gone. There is no Jesus if Haman's plan comes to pass. He's in charge of the whole known world. Everybody, every single Jewish person in every province from India to Ethiopia, gone. If his plan comes to pass. And here it is. You think that Esther's got it and now he undercuts it. His scheme is to have Mordecai killed on a 50 cubit high gallows. That is 75 feet. That's 75 feet in the air. I don't know how tall this is. 40? So maybe he was, on a, maybe he was up on, a, on a, you know, a, a building and they just wanted to, because he wants everyone to see Mordecai die. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. Here it is. We're going we're gonna to take this. And he foils Esther's plan. Look, Esther's plan's gone at this point. He will kill Mordecai in the morning. And then Esther will make the banquet in the afternoon. And his, he's going to be joyful here. Look, you know what he's thinking? There's just one more sleep. You ever, you ever use that language with your kids? We use that all the time. Like, when's Christmas? 42 more sleeps. I don't know. Like, whatever it is, right? How much is it? 10 more sleeps. Five more sleeps. One more sleep. This is one more sleep. One more sleep, Esther's plan is good. One more sleep, now Haman's plan comes to fruition. His scheming comes to pass. He will kill and destroy Esther's plan. He, this is going to happen. Just one more sleep, Haman is going to destroy everything. Here is the problem, church. Listen, that's not God's plan. That is not God's plan. Esther has a plan. Haman has a plan. God's a, got a different plan. You know what? You know what his plan is? We got one more sleep. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take sleep away. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 1. It's a whole plan. Haman goes to bed, pleased. Gallows are being made. Chapter 6, verse 1. On that 
night. Now listen, we should read this like we read in the book of Ruth. Okay, if you read in the book of Ruth, there's high irony. We, we might read this like, and wouldn't you know it, on that night. Like this is a, the, the writer here, probably maybe Mordecai wrote Esther. Wouldn't you know it? Or it just so happened that on that night, right? This is not, look, God's not mentioned, but we're meant to read into the fact that God is active. God is a planning. Because there is no irony here. It's not just that, oh, it just so came to pass. No. Intentionally, on that night, the king over the whole known world, remember what his name is, Xerxes the Great, King of Kings, Pharaoh of Egypt, that's his title. That king loses sleep. You know why? Because God is the God of kings and sleeps. God Almighty, the God of kings and sleeps. He is not king of kings, Xerxes. God Almighty's king of kings. And he takes his sleep away. There is not one more sleep here for Xerxes because he doesn't sleep. God pulls it away from him. That night the king could not sleep And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, if you remember, if you just flip back maybe one page to chapter 2, verse 23, five years earlier, Mordecai had discovered a plot to kill Xerxes. He told it to Esther. Esther told it to Xerxes, found out. Chapter 2, verse 23, And when this affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Church, listen to me. God is at work five years earlier to allow Mordecai to hear something, to be written in the Chronicles, so that five years later, while Esther plans and Mordecai schemes. There is a night that that Xerxes can't sleep. And what does he do? He pulls out the chronicles of memorable deeds. Listen, we have to understand. God's plan began five years before Esther's plan. God's plan began five years before uh, uh, before Haman's plan. These plans are, are different. Look, you can have all the plans you want. You can scheme all you want. You can have people scheming against you all you want. Here's the truth. God is a God of plans that will not be thwarted. And that's true for us. That was true here because we recognize that God is the God of sleeps. He's the God of years and weeks and sleeps. God is on the move. God is working constantly here to save a people. And that's what God's always doing. He's always on the work to save a people. God is always on the work to do something in you and to do something in me, to continually act and work on your behalf and on my behalf. And we need to make sure that we understand this. We need to make sure that we grasp this. God is involved in every single aspect of life. He is transcendent. He is above all things. And yet he is active and he is working. And he says, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who mourn, and you will find hope. There there is something here that we need to understand and grasp about the king of the universe, the true king of kings. Because Xerxes is actually not in control. Neither is Ruth, neither is Haman, but God Almighty is ruling weeks here and, 
and sleeps. We need to make sure that we understand this. Listen, no human plan or scheme is a match for God. Church, we are not deists. We believe God is at work. God's at work here. God's at work in a detail of chronicles being written, sitting on a shelf for five years until the king needs to try and find some bedtime reading so he can actually, maybe it's boring, I don't know. He's just like, bring the boring book. You know, it's the chronicles book. And, and we're going to see this next, next week that, that he reads about Mordecai and things begin to, begin to shift. For them, but God is not absent. God is not, he has not stopped working. He has not stopped moving and he never has. And he never will in your life and in mine. God's always doing something. God's always on the move. And he's doing it for your good. He's doing it for his glory. What does this mean for us, though? What does this mean for you tomorrow as you go to work or as you uh, deal with your children or as you deal with your spouses or as you do deal with your bosses or whatever it is? What does this mean? For, how does this affect us on a Tuesday morning, on a Thursday afternoon? What does this mean for us? There's two ways we can live this out. Just two. Two ways we can grasp this, we can live this out, that no human plan or scheme is a match for God. The first is this. Trust that God has planned out your story and it's perfect. God's planned out your story. He's planned it out, and it's perfect. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. If you are in this room and you are a Christian, there was a season of your life where you didn't want anything to do with him. You were going your own way. You were walking your own road. You felt like you were doing your own thing, and somebody likely had a conversation with you, or you sat in a church and you heard a preacher, or something took place where God changed the trajectory of your life, didn't he? He took it upon himself to say, okay, your story is going gonna, is gonna to come to this point and I'm going to change you at this moment. God has done that through his work and through the work of Christ on the cross for you and his resurrection. There is something here we need to get and grasp that God has already done this. You are his workmanship, Christian. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to, we need to understand this, that God is already on, he's already on the move in your life. If you're a Christian, he's already worked on your story. You could you be able to look back and see it and go, oh yeah, he has. That's not just by chance or accident. He's on the move. He's working on your story. He's planned it out. He's walking you through it. Maybe you're not a Christian in this room. I'd say this. There's a story for you. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a God who says, come to me. A God who says, I can, I can change the trajectory of your life coming to him? You're tired of life the way that it is, trying to strive and do things on your own and win your own, you know, try and be as good as you can possibly be. Look, Jesus was perfect. He died on the cross for people that are not perfect, like me. And so he can do that for you. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're at home, if you're watching this, if you're not a Christian, come to uh, Jesus Christ and find hope there takes crying out to him and asking him to do that. But he can, he can do that. Look, God, God has a, a, a story for you. He's walking it out in you, and it's a perfect story. Let me, let me um, just say one thing here. Though we come to him and we're walking it out, and maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a little bit or a long time, uh, some of you will understand this maybe more than others if you've lived long enough as a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean there's no problems. Being a Christian doesn't mean, oh, life's fine. Like, I don't have to deal with anything here. 
That doesn't, that's not what being a Christian means. You know how I know that? Look, just even look at this story. Because there's still things they've got to figure out here. Mordecai and Esther are still in trouble. Though God's working, they're still, they're still in trouble. It doesn't change the trouble. It just means we have hope in the midst of it. It means that we, we trust in the God who walks that out. And, there, and there's a perfectly uh, formed story that we can believe God is at work in and moving in. We got to get that. We want to understand that. Let me talk to you if you're 25 and under. You might be in elementary school. You might be in junior high. You might be in high school. I don't know. If you're 25 and under, maybe even a little older than that. I don't know. There will be a season and there will be a time in your life where you will have to make a decision. I just talked to one of my kids about this this past week. You'll have to make a decision about whether or not you believe what your parents taught you or not about Jesus. You will. And typically what will get you to that spot of actually having to make that call is hardship. There'll be something that happens. There'll be something that you don't like. There'll be something that you'll struggle with. And you will get to the spot of saying, do I believe this or not? When you get to that spot, remember this story. Remember this. No human plan or no human scheme is a match for God. Remember that. There is a story that God is weaving and working. And it's not always going to look pretty and it's not always going to be fun, but it will lead to us believing him deeply and trusting in him more. It will remember that as you get older. We want to make sure we grasp that. Listen, you ever, guys, you ever read the, that poem? People have it on their walls all the time. It's the, it's the footprints poem. You know, you kind of read it sometimes. You kind of, sometimes you get to the spot where you just roll your eyes at those things. You're like, oh, it's a pithy poem, like about footprints and sand, right? Like, I don't know what this is. But if you don't know what it is, it's a, foot, it's a poem about, you know, there's two sets of footprints in sand walking next to each other. And then there's occasionally times where there's just one set of footprints. And as this person reviews their life, they realize the one set of footprints is the seasons of their life that are really hard. And they ask God, why did you leave me during the hard seasons? There's only one set of footprints here. Why did you leave me? And the answer is, I didn't leave you, I carried you. Now listen, that is true. It sounds, it sounds pithy. <laughs> we kind of read it, oh, it's a nice little poem on the wall. That is remarkably true. And if you've walked through hard seasons, if you've, if you've gone through a difficult season, like Mordecai and Esther are walking through here, if you've walked through those seasons, you can look back and say, that's true, and I made it through that because that's true. God is there for you. He's walking that out. Listen, God has a plan and he's planned out your story both the joyful times and the troubling times he's walked it out and you can trust him because it's a perfect plan to get you to the place that he wants you to be we want to make sure we get it and we trust it that's one how can you live it out trust that God has planned out your story and it's perfect the second one is this and then we're going to close when things seem out of control remember they aren't remember, remember they aren't when things just seem crazy, remember they aren't. Let's just use current events, all right? Because I, mean, we've, I think we've hammered this a lot on current events. We're going to do it again because this is where we're living. None of us expected a pandemic. None of us expected to stay home for six months, you know? Like, we just that didn't, that wasn't on our plans. No idea. Things seem radically out of control. And one of the things we've tried to say the whole time is, do we believe that God is control of everything, including molecules and viruses? I hope we do. 
we're, we're purposely biblical here. That's one of our values. We want to be purposely biblical. We want to trust that God is in control from these farthest reaches of the cosmos to a virus. We want to believe that. We, I hope that we do. When things seem out of control, they aren't. When election seasons come and they seem like, what is happening? The whole country seems to be ripping apart at the seams. We want to remember that th- that is not outside God's control. God takes King Xerxes, look, that is the most powerful man in the whole world. And he can't sleep because God says, you're not sleeping. If we don't see that and recognize, look, God's in control of every single leader. It doesn't matter who he is. He, he, he rules over leaders. Here's what that means for you and me in this season. Some of you in this room will vote for Donald Trump. And that is great. You know why? Because you are going to, you're looking at this, I think, I just use one example. There's a number of reasons why. You're looking at policies and you're saying, I I think the issue of abortion is a problem. And and I'm I'm choosing to to take, this this is one example, to take the issue of abortion over maybe other things and say, I want to fix this. And this is the best way I can fix this. Look again, abortion's a problem. Biblically, we have an Imago Dei issue. We're killing uh, image bearers. It's a problem, and so you're looking at it and saying, this is the way I'm going to vote. I would say, great, vote that way. Vote your conscience. Some of you in this room are going to vote for Joe Biden. You know why? Because you're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, abortion is a problem. But there's a lot of other issues. Poor, the poor, some race, there's race issues. Uh, there's issues with justice that you're looking at saying that the way to actually heal Imago Day issues more and it's going to have a bigger effect is to vote this way and you're going to vote for Joe Biden. I'd say, great, listen, vote your conscience. Those are both biblical categories. Some of you are going to vote a third party because you're looking at it and saying, I don't like either, two, either one of those and I'm going to vote, vote in the middle. Some of you aren't going to vote because you don't even know what you're going to do. Everything is a problem for you. You're like, everybody's a problem. I don't like anybody, so I'm just going to abstain my vote. Here's what I would say, do that. Do, do that in your conscience uh, with the Bible in mind. Vote your conscience. Here's the thing, though. Do not be the person who, if your candidate does not win, starts to panic and think, I'm moving to Canada, life's over, this whole country's gone. You know why? Because God is the God of presidents. God is the God of governments. He oversees sleeping In the king of kings, the pharaoh of Egypt. Look, we should not be people, church, that are so concerned with our opposite party that we panic. When things seem out of control, remember they're not. God is the God of presidents and kings. He is the God of years and months and weeks and sleeps. Grasp it, understand it, walk in it. We have to see it this way. If not, we are not purposely biblical. If not, we're something else. We're deists. We believe God's out there doing something somewhere, but he's not here. I don't know about you. I believe God's here. I believe God's working. I'm going to make sure we grasp. I'm going to call the band up. Listen, God is always up to something good for you and for me. Always. We want to sing of his goodness. We want to sing of his love and kindness for us because of of who he is and what he's done in his sovereign hand and his mercy and his 
Look, we trust in the God of the universe. We trust in him. It's what we trust in. When things seem out of control, remember that they aren't. Church, no human plan or scheme. No human plan or scheme. It doesn't matter what's against you. It doesn't matter who you feel like is coming against you. It doesn't matter what plans you're trying to make to move, move things out of the way. It does not matter, church. Because none of those are a match for God. None of them are. God will accomplish his purposes for his own glory, for your own good. Amen. Say amen if you agree with that. Amen. Let's sing one more song and then we'll close.